Can we please give a big one chapel welcome to my friend, Pastor Ken Parsley. My, that was a great ride this morning. I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was down along Town Lake, and I had such a great time. I mean, the sun was up. It was beautiful. I wish you could have been there with me. It was a tremendous time of being out on my bike and exercising. And You were a picture of know. Austin physical fitness right yes, there. That's that exactly is amazing. Right. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate that very much. And while I was down there, I thought I might just go ahead and dip my hook in the water a little bit. And, uh, you know, I was able to pull out this great big fish. <laughs> well, before I went down there today, I decided to go out on my deck in front of my RV. And I picked up my, my barbells and did my morning exercises. And this is important for us all, don't you know? That, you know, you can kind of exercise your biceps like this. I sometimes I turn like this and go like this. And I do this. And then I reach up way high. Oh, that's a good one right there. Touches them all. So these are some of the things that we might enjoy here in the city of Austin as we're out uh, enjoying the fresh air and the sunshine that God gives us here. And so I hope that you're participating in, you know, some level of, of physical exercise and keeping yourself fit. You may not be aware that Sharon and I, my wife, who's sitting right here, I'd like you to stand, my dear, have been married 33 years this year. And next week will be our anniversary. And uh, we're excited about that and thankful for the life and family that we have had together. Perhaps you'd like to turn to our text for today, which is 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. As Rob said, Pastor Ross will be returning uh, to church from his sabbatical next week, and they kind of put me on the the end of the spectrum here. And I have a suspicion that they did that because in case I've kind of stirred things up or, you know, messed things up a little bit, that he only had one week to wait to fix it. <laughs> Not sure if that's true, but it's my privilege to be able to share with you the scripture and the word of God today. And I'm going to be talking about four big words that will guide your life. So I want to read this entire chapter with you and for you and set the tone for the comments I'd like to make today. Now the Spirit speaks expressly and says in the latter time some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good 
and nothing is to be refused if it is, if, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' table, fables, <clears throat> And exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will both save yourself and those who hear you. The key verse that I've chosen for this message is verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I also chose this chapter because it has one of my favorite verses in it, and that verse is verse 8. Bodily exercise profits a little. <laughs> That's why I have a bike and a fishing pole and some five-pound barbells here. Just my speed. When I started uh, using those barbells and I told Pastor Ross that I was exercising with some five-pounders, he laughed at me right in my face. I couldn't believe it. So I'd like today to compare the kind of emphasis that we often place upon our physical well-being to how we place an emphasis on our spiritual well-being. If you know Ralph and Kim Masio who come to church here, you know that they're bodybuilders and in really good form. If you see Ralph, you know he's lifted more than five pounds by about five times. I don't know how much he lifts. But and last week we, we saw Dosh and Brooke who are here from Denver and they're bodybuilders as well. And Dosh's arms are great big biceps, huge things. And well, it's just embarrassing to stand alongside of those guys. Some of you are um, 
personal trainers and you know how important it is to eat well and to, uh, to learn to move your body and, and have a good exercise regimen in your life. But often we find in the church that we are not so committed to learning the truth about God's teachings, learning the doctrine that will guide and direct our lives. In verse 1 of this chapter, it says that the, in latter times, in the days in which we live, that many will depart from the faith. How do they depart? They depart by the influence of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, according to the Apostle Paul. So certainly we know that was true in the day in which he wrote it, but it is just as true for us today. Pastor Kim mentioned in the opening of the service that we are all bombarded with various kinds of media. And it's true that a lot of times the input we receive is input which is deceiving for us or harmful to us. And it's not helpful for our spiritual growth and development. And we are aware of that as we're taking in from all of the resources that are available to us today. That we can be deceived or led astray by the different doctrines of this world which are so plentiful uh, where we live. Now perhaps you've heard the uh, axiom, there is a famine of the word of God in the land. Actually, Pastor Ross began having us do the Nicene Creed because there are so many folks who come to church these days who don't really have a foundation in the word of God. And so he felt convicted that we ought to at least repeat those basic truths every Sunday so that they become a part of a second nature to us and we're able to understand the value and the strength of those beautiful truths that is in the Nicene Creed. Actually, that concept comes from Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, where there is a judgment being pronounced upon the nation of Israel. And it says there, a famine of the hearing of the words of God would be in the land. A famine of the hearing of the words of God. It could be said in our own nation as well today that there is a famine of the hearing of the word of God. And you might say, well, pastor, there are churches everywhere. There are preachers everywhere, on radio, on television. There's so much coming at us in the religious world. But I say to you that there is still a famine of the hearing of the word of God in our hearts. And we need to have more of his word. We need to have greater uh, input from his word into our lives so that we can be well established in the doctrines of the scripture. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is an important concept for us to understand. It's not just that the Bible is laying on our coffee table. It is that we have heard the scriptures in our heart. And we understand that God has something to say to us from his word that is going to be life changing and help us live according to his principles. Notice in verse 6 of our text. Again, the Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. 
And he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine. This word nourished in Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, is entrepho, meaning to educate. So educated in the words of faith and doctrine. This is the desire of God for you and me. And my goal for you is that I might challenge you to become more purposeful and uh, growing in faith and doctrine, to educate yourself in these great truths that will guide your life, which I'm going to share with you in just a moment or two. Now, doctrine often gets a bad rap. I'll admit that. People say, well, doctrine is divisive. It just keeps people apart. I've heard that that throughout my life. Or it doesn't matter what you believe. Or there are so many beliefs. How can I know which is right? So we often set aside doctrine as boring, unexciting, or confusing. And it's easy for us to say that it's not necessary for us to pay attention to those great doctrines or as Paul said the good doctrines which are in the word of God. It's also true that most believers do not choose a church today for its doctrine. We choose a church because of our felt needs primarily. Sharon and I were driving around Bastrop the other day, just on a bit of a sightseeing tour. And as we drove in the little downtown area there, I noticed that on one corner there was a Methodist church built many years ago. Drove around a little further and there was the Christian church, nice building, been built a number of years ago. Drove around the square a bit more and there was the Episcopal church, which was obviously built a number of years ago. And I thought to myself, and I think I even mentioned it to Sharon, that the reason those churches are on those corners, like they are in so many little cities around the nation, is that there was a group of people who believed in a doctrine so much that they took their money and their time and they gave it for the construction of a building in that city or town so that the doctrine which was espoused by that particular church could be propagated in the community. But today we don't often see that as true. Church is treated like a buffet or a smorgasbord. I used that word this morning. How many of you have never heard the word smorgasbord? Uh, Maybe one or two. Well, when I was young, they were called Swedish smorgasbords, and you go to them and you could get all kinds of wonderful food, uh, but you just got to eat what you wanted to eat. It wasn't necessarily what was best for you or good for you. You just go to the buffet and you fill up on what you like. And that's the way it is in church a lot of times. Is that we just take what we want and we leave the, the, the rest. If the pastor teaches something we don't care for, well, there's another church down the street which will have something more tasteful for our spiritual palate. 
I hope today that you're here sitting in one chapel because you have a hunger to hear from God, to, uh, to be um, submerged in his word, and to open your heart to all that he has for you. If there's anything that I say today, I hope you'll remember it is this sentence. That doctrine or teaching is like a train track upon which you can run your life. Doctrine or teaching is like a train track upon which you can run your life. When I was a child in a small town in Washington State, there was a train that came through our town and it uh, carried fruit from the warehouses and the orchards where we lived to the markets in the bigger cities. And I always loved the times when the trains came through because it was not just the excitement of the whistle or the clackety-clack of, uh, of the wheels going along the track, but it was just to think about where this train has been and where it may be going. It's pretty exciting to think about that as a young boy. But what I realized as an adult is that that train could only go where the track took it. There was a beginning place from that train and there was an ending place. And there was no other place that it could go other than where a track was laid for it to go. And if you take a train and set it along any road or along any beach or by a lake or somewhere, where's that train going to go? It's going to go nowhere because there's no track for it to run on. And so doctrine or teaching is like that in our lives as Christians. If we do not lay good doctrine in our lives, we will not know where we're going and we will only have a train wreck in our spiritual life because we don't understand what the Word of God is teaching us how we should live. So today, I want to share with you what I've called four big words that will guide your life. Those are on your notes. Four big words that will guide your life. And these are the first four uh, fill-in-the-blanks that you have, and I hope you'll write them down. They are redemption, justification, sanctification, and glorification. We'll keep them on the screen for a moment. Okay, some of you have a little trouble spelling those words with ten letters or whatever. Redemption, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, I'm willing to admit that these four words are big ideas which we, which we draw from Scripture and that each one of them could be a sermon in itself or a series within itself, especially if you preach like Pastor Ross does, make a series out of anything. So, <clears throat> he's probably not going to watch, uh, you know, this on... <laughs> it may be that many of you have not ever even written down those words in your lifetime. Redemption, justification, sanctification, and glorification. You have some idea what they mean. You have some idea of what the scripture may say about it, but you may not have ever taken the time 
and done the study and actually written down those words. So today I hope you did write them on your notes and the scriptures which I've given you in the next few moments will also be on your notes so that if you would like to take those notes home and go over them with your children or your family and sit together around the table and do a little deep diving, if you will, into each one of these important concepts of scripture. It'll help you lay some track in your life for the future. So let's look at the first one. The first one is redemption. Redemption. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now this, again in the Greek, this word redemption is apolutrosis, meaning to ransom in full, deliverance or salvation. So to be redeemed is to be brought out of the bondage of sin through the ransom price. And that's your next fill-in word. Through the ransom price. This is a concept instituted by God in the Old Testament through the sacrificial offering of animals whose blood was to cover the sins of the people. Actually, the first sacrifice took place in the book of Genesis, early part, where God slew an animal, if you recall your scripture reading, and he spilled the blood of that animal and took the skins to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And so throughout the Old Testament, you will see various and important times where God has instituted the idea of sacrifice to move forward the concept that there is going to be an ultimate sacrifice which will cover the sins of the people. In Psalm 111 and verse 9, it is said, He sent redemption to His people. This process of sacrificial offerings for redemption continued in the nation of Israel until the coming of the promised Messiah or the Deliverer, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice for us upon the cross. It was the shedding of his blood, the blood of the Lamb, that allowed sin to be dealt its final blow. In fact, the scripture calls him the Lamb of God, which was slain before the foundation of the world, so that you and I could have our sins forgiven, our hearts could be cleansed, we could be bought by the ransom price, and we would be made ready for heaven. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, with his own blood, he obtained eternal redemption. I'd like to invite you to look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24 with me. If you're in your Bible, turn over there or in your phone. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. That would be referring to the temple and the tabernacle of the Old Testament. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. When is he appearing? Does it say there? Now. Could everyone just say it out loud? Now he's appearing for us in the presence of God. Not that he should offer himself often, in verse 25, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. 
He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. This scripture is so important for us to understand. The redemption and God's love which provided it helps us to have stability in our life. It helps us to bring balance into our lives because Christ has purchased our redemption with his own blood and we enter into its power. Some 2,000 years ago, that Jesus hung upon the cross. And for those 2,000 years, people who have entered in by faith have participated in the power to have their sins forgiven, to have participated in the power of redemption. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, Christ has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now in the Old Testament, when the priests offered the sacrifices and they burned them upon the altar, it was not a very good-smelling occasion. The stench of burning animal is not very good. But when Jesus came, the contrast was that his offering was a sweet-smelling savor which arose unto the Father, and he was grateful to be able to give himself to bring salvation to us, to be born again, to have a new life in Christ, to become a new creature. This sets us on the pathway of righteous living, which is pleasing to God. Redemption, what a wonderful word. What a deep well of truth the scripture has regarding it. Let's take the second word, justification. Justification, how do you explain justification? Well, here's the simplest way I learned when I was young. You just take the word justified and you split it up. And it says, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how you remember it. That's what justification is. Just as if I'd never sinned. Here, this word in the Greek is daikoyoho, which means to regard as righteous or just or innocent just as if I'd never sinned. Now, those of you who are in the carpentry business or the building business, you know what a plumb line is. A plumb line is a string with a plumb bob at the end, and you can hold it up high, and you know because of the laws of the earth that that is exactly perpendicular and that you are going to build a square building because you began with a straight line. If you're an accountant, 
You know what it's like to balance your books and to make sure that the books are right. My wife, when we were younger, she was a bookkeeper for the city. She kept five sets of books for the city before there were computers uh, to use. And she made sure that those books and those accounts were balanced to the very penny. That's just the way she is. If there's a penny off, she's going to stay until she finds it because she wants the books to be right. Now, I was, in a, I was a bookkeeper one time, too, for an organization. But, you know, if it was five or six cents off, I, I wasn't like that. I just said, well, you know, here's five or six cents over here, so we'll put that over here, and now, voila, we're balanced. <laughs> That's not the way God or Sharon does it. <laughs> God, through Christ, makes us righteous and calls us to be innocent as he can may only make us. This is a work which is performed by Christ. Justification performed by him upon each person who believes in him. In our unsaved or unregenerate state, we cannot be accepted by God. However, through Christ, we are justified, made innocent again, as if we had never sinned in the first place. Isn't that a great truth? Therefore, we are worthy of being joined to God and his family. Here are these scriptures. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 9, being justified, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Titus 3, 7, justified and made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So since Adam's fall, God has been planning on the restoration of fellowship with mankind. And through Christ and his sacrifice, we receive his righteousness and are acceptable to God for eternal life with him. We can be justified, just as though we'd never sinned in the first place. That's good news to some of you. Because you've struggled with the idea that you could be ever innocent again. But God can bring that to you through the concept of justification. Third word is sanctification. Sanctification is a big doctrine in scripture. It's a great doctrine. In the Greek, this word is hagiadzo, meaning to make holy to purify, to concentrate, uh, to consecrate. This idea of holiness is one which many people struggle with. How can I ever be truly holy? How can I ever be truly pure? How can I ever be set apart to God? And I know that many of you struggle with this because I've been doing church for a long time and this is an issue that people have in their lives. How can I ever be made acceptable to God again after the things which I've done in my life? Well, there are two aspects to sanctification. 
And the first one is that we are made holy. And that's your next fill-in. We are made holy by grace through faith. This is the legal aspect of sanctification. We are made holy because He is holy. We have entered by faith into His holiness. And it is something that He does for us, which happens because of our faith. But then the second part of our sanctification is that we live in sanctification by choosing to live by the principles of his word. This is the outworking of our obedience through our life. The Apostle Paul speaks of it in this way. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the obedience aspect of sanctification. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified by the Spirit of our God. 2 Timothy 2, 21, A vessel of honor, sanctified, and meat for the Master's use, prepared unto every good work. Hebrews 10, verse 10, Sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And verse 14 of the same chapter, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. This, my friends, is the process of growing in Christ-likeness. It should continue throughout every believer's life. Sanctification, it's something that God makes possible for us to be set apart and to be sanctified for his use. And now the fourth and final word, glorification. Glorification, here the Greek word is doxadzo, meaning to esteem glorious or to make glorious. This is where we get our English word doxology, or to declare his glory. Acts chapter 3, verse 13, the God of our fathers has glorified his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, verse 17, we are joint heirs with Christ that we may be glorified together. 1 Timothy 3, 16, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. 1 Peter 4.13, rejoice that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. 1 John 3 verse 2, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This doctrine of glorification is about afterward. This is about when we are raised with Christ and find our home with him in heaven. Being glorified is the fulfillment of our redemption or our salvation. It is the completion of God's eternal plan for everyone who believes. This is the end game. This is the reason for what we're doing now. This is the reason for the process of Christ coming, giving himself, making himself available through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you and I could find ultimately the end of our journey in Christ and with eternity, with him in eternity. Romans 8 verse 23 says that we are while here waiting for the adoption 
which is the redemption of our body. Doesn't matter if we've been in the grave already or if we're alive when Jesus comes again. The scripture says we're going to all go and be with him. This is the redemption of the body. In Acts chapter 1, it says this same Jesus will so come in like manner which you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus is going to come one of these days. And those who are ready are going to go with him into glory. And the idea of glorification is the hope of the church. It is the reason that we live a godly life so that we might honor God in this life and then go with him for fellowship into eternity. God's great and eternal plan is that we shall return to him after the course of this life and live in glory with him throughout all the ages of eternity. And so these four big words will provide a track, if you will, for you to run on in your life. They will keep you from shipwreck. They will keep you from not arriving at the destination if you will be faithful to lay these doctrines in your life. If you will be faithful to take these doctrines down deep and root them in your spiritual existence, it will help you to arrive where God has planned for you to arrive and be in glory with him. I want to ask the prayer team to stand right now and come down here and take your place. Those of you that are on the prayer team or if you're a pastor, a pastor's wife or otherwise a trustee or elder in the church, just stand up right now and come and take your place here. It's so important for us to understand the value of these four words. And it's not just that we might have something to chew on for a while or to help ourselves in some mental way become more prepared to live for God. It is the fact that they become the fabric or a part of our very lives. That we understand the ideas of redemption, justification, sanctification, and glorification are the, the track upon which we will live our life until God takes us home. And today I want to invite you, as the band plays in just a moment, I want to invite you, if you are in any degree concerned about your own redemption, your own salvation, if you are in any degree concerned about whether or not you have received forgiveness of sins or have accepted the work of Christ to justification and righteousness or whether you have been sanctified and are living a set-apart and holy life or whether you are wanting to prepare yourself for the life hereafter, I want to invite you to come and take the hand of one of these people who are here and pray with them, asking God to strengthen and bless your life and settle these truths within you so that your life may be complete, wanting nothing. Let's stand to our feet, if you would, please.